0: Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the up.
1: There are very quick ways to optimize your website. Um, to make sure it's inclusive, you can start with your heading tags, so your H1s. Every page should have a H1 because one, it tells Google what that page is about. So you could optimize it with your H1s. You can optimize and be inclusive in your meta description and title because if I am someone who's vision impaired and I you know, go onto Google and maybe search up a keyword and your website comes up, before I click on it, I want to hear what that link is going to be about. So that is where your metadata comes in, your title, your description. It's sort of read out, so I know exactly what to expect when I go into that site.
0: I'm here with Rejoice on my podcast today. Thank you so much for joining. I wanted to kick it off and say, how did you get into marketing?
1: I got into it through a graduate scheme. So right after I finished my master's, I entered a graduate scheme Um, which was like a digital marketing one. And the idea was to sort of let it be rotational. So for three months, I'll do PPC and the other three, I'll do something else. So I started with SEO for my first rotation, but I guess the company forgot to rotate us. So they just left me in SEO. (laughs) And I just stayed there.
0: I love that. And one of the things that you you talk about a lot and you're very passionate about is being inclusive in SEO. Could you explain first what that means to you? And then second, how do you go about executing that?
1: So being inclusive in like search and SEO is really about thinking about the wider audiences. And I think a lot of people, when they are creating buyer personas and when they're creating the ideal customer, they don't want to admit it, but they think about mostly abled bodied people. They don't ever consider, oh, you know, we might have and people who are visually impaired or people who, you know, might use text readers. So you have these sort of audiences that also fit into different categories of your buyer persona. So then we need to sort of create content or create SEO or build our website, optimize our website. So we are not leaving out people that we considered, you know, fully abled in terms of like disabilities and such. So that's really something I'm passionate about because this kind of feeds into the whole topic of diversity and inclusion, but it's very important in SEO because if we're going to target marketers and we're going to target consumers, our consumers come quite varied and we have to sort of ask ourselves, can each and every consumer um, interact with the websites with ease the same way as others can? So it's me who's not visually impaired, I wouldn't need a, a screen reader. But I will be looking at websites to kind of see, what do you have in place for those who utilize screen readers or those who are visually impaired and can't see? And Google thinks about accessibility quite heavily. There's there's guidelines, there's legislation for those things. So we can't get away from it. So we definitely have to be inclusive in like SEO and content.
0: Going deeper into that, if I'm a brand and I want to start executing and make sure like my website is inclusive for all different types of people. How how would you what are recommendations you would make to that?
1: There are very quick ways to optimize your website and to make sure it's inclusive. If you can start with your heading tags, so your H1s, every page should have a H1 because one, it tells Google what that page is about. So you could optimize it with your H1s, you can optimize and be inclusive in your meta description and title. Because if I am someone who's vision impaired and I you know, go onto Google and maybe search up a keyword and your website comes up, before I click on it, I want to hear what that link is going to be about. So that is where your metadata comes in, your title, your description, it's sort of read out so I know exactly what to expect when I go into that site. So those that's a way for you to sort of optimize it. You can optimize it in imagery. Loads of websites has pictures behind um, on their page. Now, someone who's visually impaired can't see it. So we create ops text that sits behind those imagery. So then screen readers can read out what that image is. So someone who's visually impaired can actually follow through the page, especially if you have a long form blog content, um, and you can test it out for yourself on like your iPhone when you go through accessibility and you go on Google and you double tap in certain sections, it will tell you this is the logo. It will tell you navigation. It will tell you body copy. So it's, it's literally feeding someone the cues and the prompts. So as a person who owns a website, your title, your description, your images are a great way to sort of start and make sure that those um, have text that's behind it for people to um, utilize and actually read through it as well. When you're,
0: let's say, creating content for the website, how do you think about creating content that flows in a way that is easy to digest for someone who maybe can see it or have any trouble with your content? How, how do you think about creating
1: so I would definitely um, approach it from a from a storytelling perspective. So if you think about it in terms of whatever content you're creating, so let's just utilize a, a blog page for example. When you are writing your blog, you kind of want to write it out as a story. Sometimes it's just going back to how you would write your essays in school. That it has to be so structured in the flow of the information that you're trying to give. So have subheadings. You know, it's just very very hard for someone to just read a whole block of text all the way through. So break it up, break it up into um, shorter paragraphs. So have subheadings, have H1s, H2s, H3s, utilize it. So then if someone who's vision impaired is following through, they know when one paragraph, one section has stopped, and then we're going into some sort of another subtopic that is, that is sort of linked. You want people to ensure that they are following cues that you're giving or the text that you're giving and the readability of it should be very simple for you know young children or or you know people in like secondary school to understand so that's how it has to be so simple in in sort of creating the content and sometimes don't overthink how long the paragraph should be if within that paragraph you've answered the overarching question of that section that's absolutely fine even if it's two three sentences that's absolutely fine Someone who is visually impaired can still understand that cue and still follow through. So I will say definitely break up your text and include subheadings for that as well.
0: How do you think about creating content for SEO, but that it's also great content? Because I feel like a lot of people like who think about just creating content for SEO, keyword stuff and start creating just fluffy content that's supposed to be like, How do you think about creating great content that's also optimized for SEO?
1: I think the start base is down to your research. And it's weird to kind of talk about content without me thinking SEO, because you'd be surprised how much it fits into it. So the context of it has always been like, you will sort of generate your topics. What is your niche? What do you want to talk about? And you'll generate that topic in a sense of, okay, these are the topic ideas. Then you move on to what formats can we create? People don't think about content in terms of format. It doesn't have to be text-based. It can be videos. It can be infographics. It can be, you know, visual ways to do it. And the beauty of it is that if you kind of want to regurgitate the content, it's always great to repurpose. So for example, let's say you are a makeup brand and you, you want to talk about foundation for different skin types and, and all those things. You can create a long form blog and then maybe on your social media, you want to still take that same content, but present it in a different way to a different audience, maybe on, on Instagram. Um, you can create carousels and just have bite-sized information. So it's not necessarily about having to always do it in an SEO style, but what SEO allows you to do, SEO allows you to sort of see how you can repurpose those content so many different times because on a long-form blog content, you could have one paragraph be a content on Instagram. You could have one paragraph made into a video and you explaining it. So there's so many different forms for you to create content to go through other channels that's not specifically SEO-based.
0: How would you talk to a manager or an exact... To say, like, hey, I need, I want to invest in SEO, and I also want to invest in SEO that is inclusive. Like, how do you, what do you say to these leaders to get them to buy into that?
1: A lot of leaders, you need to bring the facts, you need to bring the figures, you, you have to present them with a case study as to why. So I think it's, it's very easy to go up to them and say, we should do SEO. And then, well, you have to present what the benefits of that would be. So you have to maybe look into, um uh, lots of sites know or, or have visibility about the traffic that's coming into the into the page and if it's not meeting the benchmark and the head orbs or managers think well it's okay but you're, you're, you can show them well we're receiving this amount of traffic but it's not turning into conversion why and then because there is a why that's an investigation to be done and then you can present the seo business case and sort of present seo as in this is um, a sure way that we can do it organically. People forget that with SEO, it's an organic process. So you can target paid search and pay for those keywords and the biddings. But if you take to your managers that, okay, you need to basically be where our audience are. Are we looking into, are we coming even coming up for these keywords? And anyone can, you know, can test it out themselves. If you think about the niche of your company and you type in a keyword or phrase that might be related to you, and you type it into Google, if your website is not coming up then and you think that your website should, you already see a gap in there. And that sort of explains to your managers, well, we're not coming up for this keyword. So that tells us that organically, Google isn't, you know, isn't presenting or serving our consumers these keywords or, the, or our website. So there's something that needs to be done. And you know, go about, find facts and figures around how SEO benefits marketers, and, and all of those things. So it's really about making sure you are targeting the why and you're coming with them with a problem and a potential solution, which will be SEO.
0: SEO is such a a long-term investment that a lot of people forget that. A lot of people in marketing want these like quick wins and quick, quick like, I want revenue in the, today. But if you optimize your content and your website for SEO, When it comes time to where someone's searching a certain phrase or a term or something like that, your brand comes up and you become more and more. But a lot of people just think of like, oh, let's do paid because I can get
1: revenue in the door today. With paid, a lot of times the return on on investments is shown a bit quicker and you can get the results a bit faster. Whereas SEO, you you know, you optimize today. It can take two or three months just for Google to re it again and sort of then check the, the, your SEO score of your website or the, or the health of your website. So as you said, SEO is very, very long-term. So if as a business, you want to do SEO for two months, unfortunately, you're not going to reap the long-term you know, return on your, on your investment as you think you would because you have sort of cut short the process. SEO is something that, for me, three months, Oh, not three months, sorry. It has to be like quite a six months sort of project all the way through where you have to continuously always think about how your website is performing because Google has algorithm updates consistently and a lot of websites find that they drop off every so often with the algorithm updates and you don't want to sort of be hit with that. So you need to make sure that SEO, you're thinking about it as a continuous um, thing that you need to do for your website.
0: What is the greatest challenge right now with SEO?
1: I think in the past, the greatest challenge has sort of been the educational aspects of SEO. A lot of times when you're pitching to clients, you can be met with um, clients who know nothing about SEO. So the challenge is then again, proving that SEO is worth it because you don't understand what SEO is and you don't understand the value of it. The challenge can be having to sort of regurgitate information or go through certain informations just to sort of get the you know a client to a place where they can understand. And another challenge is because they don't understand it, they tend to sort of try and think they know that they know better, or you know that's not what we need, or that's not worth it. But you're not listening to the SEO experts who you do know about this channel. Uh, but I think recently, what's kind of getting everyone scared and it's posing to be a challenge is the concept of AI that's coming in and people are getting very terrified. Is it going to replace SEO um, SEO marketers? Is it going to change things up? But realistically, if you just look at how things go, I think AI should be seen as a complement to the work SEOs do and not something that will take over because unfortunately, I feel like humans would know consumer behavior a lot better because we interact with the brands, humans interact with brands, we feed into lifestyle, we feed into experiences and other humans can understand and relate to that. So how we would create content or how we would market this content will be vastly different. So AI kind of seems like a challenge right now. It, the conversation is kind of everywhere and you kind of have to sift through the noise and, and you can see people kind of shaking, but you know, hopefully it doesn't take over.
0: Also, I think one thing about AI AI is AI is only as good as the inputs that are put in AI. What it doesn't account for is like human creativity and he- those conversations that you're having with your customers and stuff that you can tweak that could be different than your competitors and, st- and everybody out there. So I think that's one thing, but I also want to think is like on this AI topic, like do you think AI will be great at anticipating inclusivity with SEO as well? Like, because that's a a question Because um, like, you think it might be great SEO for just like websites as well, but like, how about for everybody?
1: I don't think it will be great at anticipating it because I do think inclusivity is an intentional act and something that you know, I just feel humans. Can are the best at doing, being intentional in how you do it. Because it goes beyond just meta tags. It goes beyond, it literally enters into inclusive designs, how we look at images and colors and contrasts and fonts and readabilities. I don't think AI is there yet or will really understand how to be accessible. I think it can probably help you write accessibility prompts, but I think the strategy of, of how to be inclusive in your content, that will always remain a human thing to do. So I think it, it, it wouldn't replace it or nor would it threaten it. And because acts accessibility, things are forever evolving and changing, new rules are coming in, new guidance are coming in, guidance are coming in. So AI just can't keep up with that. And again, it's humans who are creating it because we're we're discovering new things about our audiences and we're discovering new things about consumer behavior. So we can only really use AI to complement that and not necessarily replace it.
0: One of my my favorite authors says that you should create products for the disabled because even like able people are disabled at some points of their life. Like, for example, like when you're like walking through a door and then you have like two water bottles in your hand, like you don't have arms in that situation. Like, so how is that door handle created? Is Is it a knob that you need to twist or is it something that you should push down? Like all these products, like the best products are created with disabled people in mind, because every human has disabled moments in their life, even if they're not fully disabled at that time.
1: Products and designs should really think about representation for everyone, for the audiences. And as you said, if if both my hands are, you know, restricted and I want to open the door, but the door can only be ho- open if I have a, you know, pull the handle. In that moment, you, you probably think, oh, this, this design is a bit very, very rubbish because I can't open the door now. So it, it's little things like that, little inconveniences you think of that I don't think a lot of marketers think about that from the lens of the disabled community or the lens of um, communities who are not the focal point. So it's like thinking about how would everyone interact with your products and interact with it, with the design? Does the design make sense for everyone to sort of use and play? Or is it going to restrict certain people because, you know, they they, you know, they can't utilize it or because either, either they're vision impaired or they can't hear it because they're deaf? All of these things, you kind of have to consider it. And sometimes not every product will be inclusive, but I think once you think about all communities in mind, it does kind of branch out into creativity because now you're thinking, oh, it's not just one group I'm trying to market to, but I can create it in this way to be specific for this group. And, and I think thinking about inclusivity for me, it broadens your creativity and imagination. And I think sometimes that's what lacks in a lot of marketers. We don't have imagination and some designers, there's no imagination into how we can create this that is suited for everyone and that is inclusive of everyone. I
0: also think like this is a big, uh, also why you should hire people who, who struggle with these issues on a day-to-day basis because then you don't miss out on these opportunities to create for great for these. Because for, I think like that's also talking about inclu- inclusive design and uh, how do you have to have inclusive environments and diverse environments in the back end to do that as well. Otherwise, like, You see all these mistakes that happen in public because of the the team behind it is not very inclusive. What is a, um, a marketing hill you would die on?
1: A marketing hill that I think I would always die on is that not enough marketers are willing to take the creative route or make search creative. And that's something i always die on because I think as an SEO, when I started in the industry, everything had to be by the book in terms of how we approach search, how we see search, how we think about it and what can we create from that. And for me, I think naturally how SEO is built and how S- the SEO industry is, it's not a creative space for you to kind of think about this quirky new, fun ideas. It's very rigid in the, in a way that we sort of do things because, again, there's algorithms, there's the technical aspects. But for me, the hill I will always die on is that SEO can be extremely creative. You can use SEO and create amazing, creative, fun search campaigns. And we see loads of brands do it. We see IKEA do it when they utilize um, search in such a fun and funny, creative way by naming their products based on the search complaints people have on Google or people type in on Google and they attributed it to their products and they sold it that way. So they will come up when people type in, oh, how do two people sleep on a single bed? Something like that. And I think that's what is missing and that's a heel I'll always die on, that SEO is just not a creative industry and a lot of SEOs are not as creative as they think they are. They're afraid to step out of that box and think about search in a more... Quirky way that can be fun, that can be exciting, that can all really align with the new generation, really align with how reactive people are in terms of content. We have reactive PR, but not reactive content, even though it can be harder. But I think there's a way we can do it. It just feels like we're scared to go down that route. I love
0: that because I think also in an industry that or in a profession that is rigid or like formatted usually the format came from someone else who's doing best practices. So that means like, you're just doing what everybody else is doing instead of branching out and being new, which I love that take on like, cause I never, like most SEO people I know are just like, so by the book. And it's just like, if you don't do this or you don't do that, then you're screwed. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm doing this wrong. Or like, even with their content, they're just like, the content has to have this and it has to have that. It can flow this way. So it's it's cool to see other SEOs like going out and thinking creatively like you are. If someone was starting SEO today, what is a piece of advice you would give them that they would come back two years down the road and thank you for?
1: I think if someone's starting out SEO, a piece of advice I would always give them is don't chase the, the money. And I say that because... When I started, I thought, you know, I was seeing technical SEOs, they were earning the higher bucks, they were earning the money. And I, I thought, oh, I don't like technical, but if I really want to get a really good salary, I kind of have to go down that route. But I learned that you don't. And I think the reason I say that is, you know, you have your own personal interest, whether you're into games, whether you're into fashion, beauty, and you have that away from SEO. You can actually combine your what you love and what you have, you know, the, the random knowledge of. You can combine it with SEO. There's a lady who, you know, that I really be close to. She's an amazing SEO woman and she loves fashion and luxury and lifestyle. So she has mostly really worked with those type of brands and she has thrived in it because she already knew about this industry well before SEO. So she knew how this industry operated and I see people who are huge gamers who love, you know, video games, who work for those niches. So you don't always have to chase what the big bucks is. And I do think starting out, don't be afraid to combine SEO and what you love doing because there's always, always a space for it. There's always a market for it. Even if you have something random that you love trains, there's loads of train companies, loads of travel companies who probably would require that level of expertise or someone who knows about the industry, who knows about um, you know the resources that this industry provide, and who's also really good at SEO. That can combined well. So that would be my advice. Don't lose your passion outside of SEO. Combine
0: combine the two. People always have told me like become like strong and one skill, but also like paired with like something else that makes it a, a table approach. So like what you're saying is like if you become the SEO the best known SEO for, like, the beauty community, then everybody in the beauty community is going to go be like, oh, I need to go to her or him or for that skill. Or if you go SEO for travel, it's just, or, like, even if you're in demand gen, if you want to go demand gen. Like, I know someone who's, like, really good at, like, paid acquisition just for newsletters. And everybody who wants to be, like, all these newsletter media companies just want to hire this guy because he's so good at it for just one niche which is that's how like if you become so strong and so well known in such a sector you become so sought out and valuable for that yeah absolutely last thing i have for you is where could people find you um where could people reach out where could people follow your journey
1: you can absolutely find me on linkedin it's rejoice ojaku i come up or you can find me on twitter and it's Reggie Yates. So R E J I Y A T E S, And I'm there. So I'm, my DM's always open for anyone who has questions. Always happy to sort of collaborate on anything or speak through anything or promote anything exciting from other marketers, what you're doing. So yeah, those those are the two places you could mostly find me on.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining. This has been so insightful. I admit I'm not the best SEO out there. So I learned so much about Everything in SEO World. So, thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.